When I retired, with lots of newfound available time, I enjoyed many travel opportunities. This podcast may encourage you to visit, revisit, or experience virtual armchair travel, learning about exciting new venues. Travel is an excellent vehicle for lifelong learning. Welcome to the What Travel Writers Say podcast. I'm Mike Keenan, your host, and today we focus on Hilton Head, South Carolina, where my spouse and I vacation just about every winter. One great blue heron, regal, silent, still, fixed in hunting mode. One elegant great egret, stately, equally still. One wing splayed cormorant, drying. Two long, rubbery black alligators, comatose in the water. Three white-plumaged ibises with carrot-like beaks. Six sun-basking turtles, heads protruding to suck up the heat. Not bad for my daily walk inside Shipyard's plantation. Add joggers and bike riders, mainly seniors traversing the asphalt trails that wind delicately beside well-groomed fairways, the adjacent golf course studded with palmetto trees and hardy live oaks wearing billowing whitish Spanish moss garlands, and you get a better picture. Yesterday at the Black Marlin Bayside Grill at Palmetto Bay Marina, known for its large selection of fresh-caught fish, seafood, and delicious hand-cut steaks in a relaxing Key West atmosphere, a duffer relates a story that went viral. A golfer is putting out on a green when suddenly an agile gator lunges from the nearby pond, snags a leg in its jaws, and drags his victim waist-deep into the water. Shocked at first, the man repeatedly hits the animal with his putter, all to no avail until he pounds its eyes, and he is grudgingly released. There's a golf course that he will never forget. Gators usually leave you alone, says my friend at the bar, but don't go into the bush to find a wayward drive when you're golfing. There's poisonous snakes in there. My wife and I have rented a well-stocked and quite comfortable condo in Tennis Master, an area located in shipyards where the worst thing that can happen is to get hit by an errant golf ball. Hilton Head is a barrier island, second in size only to Manhattan. To the north sits the enchanting Beaufort on Port Royal Island. Not so enchanting at the southern tip is Paris Island, where they train U.S. Marines. To the east is Bluffton, another quick day trip, and south is Dafowski Island, Tybee Island, and finally Savannah, the latter a wonderful day trip. Hilton Head is known for its green and pristine landscape, an oasis for golfers and tennis players alike. The well-planned neighborhood developments or plantations provide residents and snowbird renters like us with well-maintained and often gated communities, each designed with southern charm. A gated automobile pass costs $6. Indigo Run, the youngest and final private residential golf community, boasts 1,712 acres at the island's north end. 
It offers two Jack Nicklaus-designed golf courses, the aptly named Golden Bear and the rather pedestrian-named simply Golf Club. Palmetto Dunes, Mid-Island on 1,800 well-preserved acres, contains 1,012 homes and 1,470 villas and 3 miles of Atlantic Ocean beaches, 11 miles of winding lagoons, and one of the largest tennis centers on the island with 25 courts. Its three public 28-hole golf courses were designed by PGA favorites George Fazio, Robert Trent Jones, and Arthur Hills. In 1956, Charles Fraser developed Sea Pines into the first private plantation community on the island. One of the largest residential and resort plantations, it spans 5,200 acres with 3,839 homes and 2,042 villas. Four championship golf courses include the Harbor Town Golf Links, home of the PGA Tour's annual RBC Heritage Tournament. Here also is the famous Harbor Town Marina and its landmark red and white striped lighthouse, built in 1969 to aid boats traveling on the Calabogie Sound. The marina hosts awe-inspiring yachts, but was closed on our visit due to Hurricane Matthew's damage. Subsequently, it has been repaired and now offers even more. Sea Pines maintains a lush 605-acre forest preserve, access to five miles of Atlantic Ocean beaches, over 100 tennis courts, two security gates, and numerous swimming pools. It is also the location of the South Beach Racquet Club, Sea Pines Racquet Club, Lawton Stables Equestrian Center, and restaurants and outdoor activities held at South Beach Marina Village. Wexford Plantation, a superb residential community of 450 homes, features immaculately manicured landscaping, a championship golf course, a $5.2 million clubhouse, in a harbor with one of only four lock systems on the east coast. The lock system, controlled by a 24-hour on-duty harbor master, opens to Broad Creek, providing access to the intercoastal waterway and Atlantic Ocean. Four full-time golf professionals are in hand at the plantation's world-famous golf course, designed by architect Willard Beard. Two full-time tennis professionals teach on the plantation's six hard-true courts, four of which are lighted. The most distinguished characteristic about Wexford Plantation is its luxurious homes, many with deep-water boat decks. Long Cove Club Plantation is situated between Yacht Cove and Wexford Plantation, toward the island's south end. Within Long Cove are 569 homes. Golf Digest magazine rated Long Cove Club's private golf course, designed by Pete Dye, the number one course in South Carolina for 10 consecutive years. A membership is included with ownership here. In the 1980s, the plantation's developers chose to carefully preserve the area's live oaks, magnolia and palmetto palm trees, which create a serene wooded environment in which its signature golf course is nestled. A tennis center was opened in 2002. Residents enjoy deep water access to Broad Creek from the community's boat docks. One of Hilton Head's largest and most age-diverse residential neighborhoods is Hilton Head Plantation. 
spread over 4,000 acres between the Intercostal Waterway and Port Royal Sound, the plantation holds 4,000 homes and 500 villas. It is home to the Country Club of Hilton Head's semi-private 18-hole golf course designed by Reese Jones. Jones also designed the plantation's award-winning Oyster Reef Golf Course and Bear Creek Golf Course. The plantation has a fourth private course created by Gary Player and Ron Kirby called Dolphin Head. Within the plantation, there is access to two miles of beach, a community recreation center, a shared gardening area, numerous community swimming pools, and tennis courts, Skull Creek Marina, and the Old Fort Pub Restaurant. Two nature conservancies possess beautiful, lengthy nature trails and boardwalks through woods and marsh, an extensive leisure path system for walking, jogging, or biking winds through this beautiful community. The Black Marlin and other popular restaurants offer happy hours and early bird dinners, frequented by seniors who live or rent here. Renters stay one to three months, a few longer. We occupy a condo owned by a colonel and a major in the U.S. Army. We have befriended couples from Niagara-on-the-Lake, St. Catharines, Ottawa, Toronto, and Windsor. Canadians love it here, but the number has dropped because of our declining loony. We have a deck and a screened-in lanai multiple TVs, the internet, and a complete set of kitchen utensils just like home. Garbage is collected at our door. Workers daily blow away debris from the trees that litters your deck. One can get used to this life. The beaches are the main attraction for us. There is public access at three areas. Coligny is our favorite with washrooms and a change area. At low tide, the beaches are immense and make for easy walking, bicycling, or jogging. We watch pelicans, dolphins, and ships heading south to Savannah. People love to walk their dogs, mainly labs and retrievers, but also smaller breeds such as saucy chihuahuas, spunky dashhounds, and a few charming pugs. One morning, we make our way to the Old Town Harbor in Sea Pines Plantation at the toe of the foot-shaped island. Across the water, I see the Harbortown Golf Links PGA course that annually attracts the best professional golfers. On the dock, I notice brown pelicans and smaller black cormorants warming in the sun. Pelicans are ugly on land, but in the air, beautiful as they effortlessly glide millimeters above the water. We are on a quick 75-minute vagabond cruise boarding the Spirit of Harbortown, a million-dollar passenger yacht zipping from Hilton Head Island to Savannah, Georgia. The iconic red-and-white striped lighthouse begins to fade as we cross Calaboogie Sound and pass Dafuski Island. Our vessel slows from its 19 knots pace for smaller boats and docks. We travel on the ICW, the Intercoastal Waterway, passing myriad yellow high grass along the way, a fine contrast to the deep blue sky. Eventually, we hit the Savannah River shipping channel, with industry along the shore including large round oil tanks and assorted funnels, not exactly a picturesque view, with tiny Fort Jackson on our port side, a revolutionary war fortification complete with moat and drawbridge. Remarkably, Savannah is the second largest U.S. shipping channel after New York, New Jersey, and we witness container ships lumbering along with their heavy loads. 
we see one that sails with a crew of 25, carries 4,200 containers piled high on its deck, and takes a full day to unload. Savannah's seven church steeples appear along with the large Marriott and Hyatt hotels, the city's gold dome in between. Farther downriver is the massive 1991 Talmadge Memorial Cable State Bridge, which spans a total length of 3.1 kilometers, or 1.9 miles, carrying four lanes of traffic built 312 meters, or 1,023 feet high, to accommodate the ships. From the dock, we stroll along ballast rocks that form a rough cobblestone pathway to River Street. We check out Savannah's 22 charming city squares, extraordinary architecture such as the Telfar Academy, with five imposing statues, now an art gallery, outside and lush botanical gardens worthy of Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, a best-selling non-fiction work by John Berent, published in 1994. The high-speed cruise allows us four full hours to sightsee, shop, take a trolley tour, and find a restaurant for lunch. On the return trip, the waterway dramatically drops nine feet with the tide, and we encounter a large cabin cruiser stranded on a sandbar just inside a directional buoy. Our captain responds to their call for help by unleashing a large wake with a surge of his engine and as I peer backwards, it seems to have done the trick. Another day I try a different nautical trip, but first, perched on top of the red and white lighthouse, I enjoy a panoramic view of the harbor, filled with luxurious, expensive yachts. One gargantuan anchored in Calabogie Sound appears too huge for the harbor. Exceptionally windy, it's difficult to remain outside on the lighthouse platform. My skipper today, Dave Lyle, sinewy with, with a relaxed air and a deep resonant voice, thinks that the oversized yacht belongs to the upcoming golf tournament. I wonder about our soon-to-be trip aboard Stars and Stripes, Dennis Connor's former entry in the famed America's Cup race for nautical millionaires. It seems crazy to set sail in hurricane-like wind as 17 rookie crew board near the exit end of the harbor. The wind so powerful, when we edge from the slip, we are pushed immediately backwards hard towards the other immobile yachts. Thus began an ordeal for Lyle, desperately trying not to play bumper car with millions of dollars worth of boats. Anguished owners suddenly rush to protect their prized investments from our potentially crushing weight. Lyle frantically ties off ropes as he jumps on and off adjacent craft. Unfortunately, we are fixed perpendicular to the howling wind, impossible for us to turn. Insurance adjusters sharpen their pencils. Yacht owners pray. After ten minutes of classic struggle with the elements, we've drifted completely to the rear of the harbor with no respite. Miraculously, a Zodiac boat from Echo Tours arrives to our rescue and tows us towards the harbor entrance. We now face the wind directly and are able to make some progress. It's been a 12-minute battle merely to exit from the small safe harbor. What's in store for us at sea? The wind whistles, suggesting we are mortal fools. Most passengers sit towards the front on top of floatable seat cushions that we are instructed to throw into the water if someone accidentally slips overboard, the idea being that there's a nice pattern to mark where I drowned. 
I hug fast to the stern rail a very thin rope, the only impediment besides gravity to prevent my communion with the sea. The mainsail is tied off a bit as a token precaution so as not to completely unfurl in this tornado. Up goes the jig and most of the mainsail. I now realize why a crew of ten is necessary for racing to coordinate ropes, winches, sails, steering, and prayer service, particularly in the high wind and seas of today. As we pitch at a 45-degree angle, I'm wedged beside two retired resident couples from Maine. Don't write anything good about Hilton Head, they plead. They want it all for themselves. I'm impressed with the machinery, a winch that two mates employ to raise and lower sails, the chrome double steering wheels, and identical controls on port and starboard sides of the vessel. Once accustomed to the fury of the sea, the captain allows several passengers, including me, to steer the boat. When we sail past Dafowski Island, the wind picks up speed, and so do we. It's so blustery today that Lyle wisely keeps us from the open sea. As we take in sail upon return, I wonder how we will manage to revisit the slip, given the petulant wind and the small window of opportunity in which to dock. Nonetheless, the captain masterfully cut stars and stripes like an accomplished big city parallel parker, the Zodiac mercifully waiting just in case we need a slight nudge. Lyle is now my favorite captain from whom I would never mutiny. He adroitly responded to the pressure of safeguarding passengers and millions of dollars of boats. When I shake his hand, it's remarkably dry. If our team had the football on the goal line needing to score on the last play of the game, I would want Dave Lyle to be the quarterback. Stars and Stripes was purchased in 1996 from bankruptcy in Savannah, Georgia. Over $3 million was spent in reconstruction and maintenance, and it's now worth $12 million. Dennis Connor sailed it twice, in 1983 as Spirit of America and in 1987 as Stars and Stripes, in preliminary races to qualify for the America's Cup. He then chose to sail the Liberty because of different seas, but lost to the surprising Aussies. As for my yacht racing future, after today I no longer wish to emulate Mr. Connor, content to read Jules Verne, Joseph Conrad, and Jan Martel from the safety of a dry couch, the only water required to be added to my glass of scotch. During our stay, I conclude that it would be a good move that one obtain a prescription from one's doctor, directing one to vacation on Hilton Head Beach for optimum health. The views alone are inspiring. A middle-aged man and woman biking with golf putters held inside their carriages. A fellow with two tennis rackets strapped to his back. People with muscular legs propelling rental bikes with fat tires. Sun worshippers in shorts, t-shirts, bathing suits, and striking bikinis. Some bronze, most white. One male whose back is painted Larry Lobster red. The rays taking their toll on his lily-white flesh. Probably a Canadian. A pregnant lady blissfully packs sand into a child's plastic pail, creating sandcastles, unconsciously imprinting her unborn baby to impromptu treasures of the beach. Joggers sporting earphones, groups of chatting strollers sporting bibs with numbers for an MS walkathon, a small child placing a plastic Captain Hook toy near the surging water, then prancing gleefully around it, spiral tire treads in the sand, 
waves tossing in gradual fading crescendos, splashing and foaming along the shore, attractive, i.e. expensive homes, opposite the water, sporting wooden porches to maximize panoramic vistas, formations of pelicans looming near a fishing boat, gulls crying, skittish sandpipers with long bills probing the rich sand, and a radiant furnace above, gleaming its dazzling rays off the beaming water. A fresh breeze emerges from the sparkling waves. This is surely an oasis to soothe both body and mind, awaken dormant muscle and creative synapses. An attentive elderly Pennsylvania couple noticed me sitting and writing on a wooden bench anchored at Coligny Plaza opposite the public beach. We're surprised how built it up it is, yet how camouflaged the commercial areas are. Camouflage is an appropriate descriptor. Unlike typical garish tourist streetscapes, commerce is tastefully set back in Hilton Head with stringent zoning requirements. The vibrant palmetto trees, shrubs, and rich foliage make it difficult to view what lays behind manicured grass and road, with small discerning signs the only outward signal of business interests lurking behind the mass of greenery. No neon, no garish billboards, no tackiness permitted. This is the genteel south. No pressure, hucksterism, glaring sound boxes, or aggressive pitchmen enticing you to spend money. This is the land of shorts, sunscreen, baseball caps, hats, gated communities with controlled access and guards, dated passes carefully placed on car windshields. There is public access to the beach at three areas. At Caligny Circle, a roundabout forces me to pay close attention to yield signs. Here there is a village which includes shops that sell t-shirts and skimpy swimming attire. The term happy hour is redundant here, as if we need the token declaration to make life more festive. There are many fine restaurants and expensive cars, Jaguars, Mercedes, BMWs, Lexus, and assorted SUVs. A low-slung convoy of three beagles pass by on the beach, bellies hugging the ground. On the sand, imprints of man, dog, birds. Nature's intermittent blackboard, erased twice daily by compulsive tides, pulled back and forth to celebrate the moon. I watch a great blue heron scoop a fish in two attempts. Not a bad batting average in any league. This is an idyllic island not to be voted off of. Here it's important to exercise. Thus I venture again across the road from our rented condo to the Vandermeer Tennis Resort. Fiercely active this morning with finely dressed ladies in sportswear eager to improve their skills. They respond enthusiastically to the drills, knocking soft-served balls back as best they can, some with hard returns, others floppy, with only a few misses. I head off from this diversion for solitude. On my right is a golf course. I take its cart path for some easy walking. This is the Shipyard Golf Club, a public 27-hole course beautifully laid out amidst idyllic homes, backing onto manicured fairways, creeks, and lagoons with peaceful charm. The nine-hole sections are named Galleon, Brigantine, and Clipper, suiting the overall nautical motif. I climb aboard Brigantine, and at a par-3, 380-yard tee area, I encounter Al, who, like me, ignored the sign that reads, Golfers Only During Daylight Hours. Unlike me, 
he dreamily soaks up the sun lying prone and motionless just off the driving area, a turtle dozing beside him for token companionship. A foursome swiftly arrives in two electric carts. We all observe Al blissfully asleep. A lady golfer pulls out a camera and walks purposely towards him. Don't get too close, her husband warns. Those things move fast. Al is 12 feet long and would provide an ample number of belts and other accessories from his large amphibious hide. The second huge alligator I've spotted in the past three holes. I thought sand traps were hazardous enough. I walked the remaining fairways on heightened alert, code orange, advising oncoming golfers about the upcoming onerous par 3. Where I live in Florida, they take them out that big, drawls one golfer. There are three more big ones on the back nine. I visualize the James Bond movie scene where our hero, stranded on a tiny island as gators move in for the kill, adroitly lines them up and athletically employs their firm bodies as stepping stones, literally walking across the water. Al doesn't appear as cooperative. Later, I encounter two barefooted young ladies dressed in striking purple gowns. This is an eclectic walk. Tennis, golfers, alligators, and two debutantes checking out the foliage. I warn them about Al. You mean just over there, an alligator, they ask incredulous? About 12 feet long, I answer. They pick up their gowns and run. Finally, an appropriate reaction. Al is blessed with a lot of teeth a wide, flat snout, and sunbays on grassy banks to maintain a steady 89-degree body temperature. Incredibly, his slow digestion requires merely one pound of food per week. I reckon I would supply him with a wanton feast for half a year's daily nutrition. If motivated, Alphonse is able to outrun humans for 50 yards. Did he notice my cane? The record length is 19 feet 2 inches. Only bad things happen when golfers play through gators. One reason I gave up golf was my incredible slice. After my drive, invariably playing in and through constant rough, I would never see my foursome again as a unit until we arrived at the green. In Hilton Head, with these somnambulant predators, they might never see me again, period. We vacation here often, this time for three blissful weeks. And on my daily walks, I agree fully with Al Jolson's memorable musical sentiments. Nothing could be finer than to be in Carolina in the morning. Hilton Head, South Carolina is where my spouse and I vacation each winter. Now you know why. We conclude each podcast with an appropriate travel quote. Today it's from Zen philosopher, ex-baseball player Yogi Berra, who said, you got to be very careful if you don't know where you're going, because you might not get there. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or comments, contact me at mjk6648 at gmail.com. Happy travels, and tune in again next week for another What Travel Writers Say podcast.